From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep. We dive deep into the Catholic faith, explore the faith, ask those difficult questions you may be talking about right now. I'm your host, Andrew Hansen, with my co-host, Amber Servany, and our other co-host, Father Chris House, the rector of the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. He's also the chancellor for the diocese in Springfield, kind of like a rose between two thorns here, Father House. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that has been... uh, Perpulating, you might say, in the Catholic Church, talking about women deacons. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into pre-celibacy, the discipline surrounding that, the history surrounding that. Uh, it's an interesting topic because this is something Pope Francis has, uh, you could say, you know, brought up, explored. There's been some panels that, that have uh, talked about this. Uh, but first, Father House, let's get into the nuts and bolts of, of women deacons. Um there's some arguments who say, you know, why don't we have women deacons? So let's just start there. Why, why no women deacons? Well, first off, the fact is we had women deacons. We know that historically. So we know that there were deaconesses. The challenge is we don't know exactly what they were, what they did in reference to was it exactly the same as male deacons? Was it a specialized ministry? Was the ordination right different? Was there an ordination right? So there's a lot of questions about that. And so... This question was really revived or was put to the Holy Father um, a few years back, and he promised to create a commission to study it. And so this has kind of come back up in the news because I believe it was in May when uh, the commission gave its report, gave its answer that basically was not an answer. It basically was just divided. Like a lot of things coming out of Rome sometimes. Well, they say sometimes the whole reason why you give something to a commission is for one of two things, either so that you'll never get to an answer or so that you'll get a divided, convoluted answer that has to just keep being studied. So, Well, in 2002, uh, the International Theological Commission, they're basically an advisory body to the Congregation Doctrine of the Faith. They basically issued, a, they, they looked at the history of, of women deacons and they basically concluded that the way we define deacons was maybe different back then where women back in the historic history of the church, it was more uh, being just being there alongside of the male deacons and, and simply helping them and, and offering care. But in terms of the sacramental role, they basically concluded that no, they didn't have the sacramental role. They were more just, you know, there alongside the male deacons to basically, you know, Exactly. Ministers, Move the church forward. Right. Ministers of service. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, they talked about one of the main things was that for the sake of modesty, for example, during the rite of baptism of adults, because it used to be you would be stripped down and be baptized and then confirmed or anointed or chrismated, anointed with the oil. And then that was a very uh, head to toe ritual. So for the sake of modesty, women deacons were deaconesses were used for that. So, but no, you're right. It's uh you know, at the end of the day, it depends on who you talk to, because that's the whole thing of this new commission that the Holy Father had appointed. You had a variety of opinions. You had some who very much were in line with the opinion from 2002, the International Theological Commission, and then you had others who disagreed with that. And so basically, it seems on this commission, everybody came in with their opinion, and everybody stuck with their opinion, and it's a divided opinion. So do you think this is something that we're going to be debating for a long time? Maybe the debate will be there where it's whether it's going to go anywhere. I doubt it. There are uh, many voices that say you're not going to do anything with it. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II in 1994 in his uh, document on priestly ordination definitively and infallibly said that 
ordination was reserved to men alone. People will point to, though, but he did not mention deacons. Others will argue that by extension, you cannot divide up holy orders. So the episcopacy, the priesthood, the diaconate, it is men who are called to that. Some will say, well, no, it's not specifically mentioned in that document. Therefore, it's an open question. So is it being debated and kicked around? Yes. Um, Without a definitive statement from the Holy Father or from the Holy Father and the College of Bishops, it probably is going to continue to be kicked around and debated. So for people who want women to be deacons, there's, there's hope. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Not going to go there. Um, But yeah, really it's, um, it's the teaching authority of the church. So it's going to have to come from either the Holy Father or the Holy Father with the college of bishops, with the magisterium. So he will have to make the definitive decision. Yeah, it seems like ruling. it seems like historically, and and Bishop Paprocki has has spoken about this. He 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 pointed out that the history when it comes to the deaconess deaconesses, did mm-hmm. I say that pronounced? Yeah, <laughs> um, they were basically entrusted with the ministry of charity side of the church, whereas their husbands, the deacons, were more you know part of the sacramental part, and that's what. Uh, when they look back on church history, that's what they they really found. But you bring up, you know, Amber, you bring up the, you know, can women become deacons? But you know, the church has changed, if you want to use the word evolved, um, on women, you know, participating more in the mass. Um, is that something, you know, as as a woman, we, we, we defer, to you, defer to you as our rose between two thorns. Uh, you, you like the church in, in terms of, you know, lectors and extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, as as a woman, I guess my personal opinion is that you see that women are um, equal, but different. And so then it's like, where do we take that in the church? Um, So obviously women, you know, couldn't be at the altar at all at one time. Uh, Now, now they are. And that's, and that's great. And so then you can see how someone then might say, well, if we can do that, then where is this line in being a deacon? Can women be deacons? So I understand, um, the school of thought for women to be deacons. And I think then it comes down to how do we as a church um, make women equal, but different. Um, And sometimes I think that's what's missing a little bit in the church. Um, And I think that maybe it would answer that question a little bit more of women being deacons. If we had women as as our equals, as, as the men equal in the church. I think though the problem there though is if if women become deacons, then is that you know then of course then the next step of women priests. I, I think the line you you pointed out is 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 the holy orders. It's it's the ordination. So maybe you know as you pointed out, you know we've we've taken we've allowed women to um, lectors, extraordinary ministers, holy communion. Um, but the line seems to be, and historically the church has been, I think, pretty clear that the line is holy orders, the line is sacraments, the line is preaching. Um, and I, I, but I, I think that's a good line. I, you, you pointed out, I mean, there are distinct roles between male and female. And I think for people who, who think the Catholic church doesn't do, you know, doesn't do enough for, for the females. I, I still always turn to look to Mary. I mean, we hold Mary in the most highest regard of any Catholic faith, you know, and she, you know, she is our mother. She is our spiritual mother. Um, and I look to I look to her as you know, and of course all the saints and uh, the people who are you know who hold positions in curry offices around around the country who are women who are actively involved in the church who have leadership roles. Uh, I think the church has made great strides in that, but I also think historically we've always been very pro women. We've been very pro mother. We have to be very careful with the whole argument about equality, though. 
because equality doesn't mean that everybody gets to do the same thing. There is equality. It's given by God. It's not the church has to safeguard that. The church doesn't make people equal. So God has made all of us in his image and likeness, men and women. He's made us all heirs of his kingdom. So there is that ultimate equality there. God then also then calls each person individually to different stations in life. So it can be tricky to talk about equality in the church if that means that everybody has this right to do whatever they want or there's this equal disbursement of this and that. So we all don't get to do what we might want to do. Some are called to marriage. Some are called to religious life. I was called to the priesthood. I didn't sacrifice marriage because I was not called to marriage. I was called to holy orders. God did not give me the right or the calling to enter into that union. So am I equal with everybody else as an heir to the kingdom? Absolutely. Made in God's image and likeness like everybody else? Absolutely. But God called me to certain things. He's called Amber to certain things. He's called you, Andrew, to certain things. And we're all equally called, but not necessarily in the same way. So can you, can you go back? I, and I, and I don't know, and that's why I'm on this show to help people who also don't know. <laughs> um, but like in the historically, what was it that someone said, all right, women can be Eucharistic ministers. They can go onto the altar. What, what was that? What, how did that look like in the church? What, what did that look like? Well, it's not just women. Remember it at one time it was basically, it was the clergy and that was it. So, you know, Andrew pointed out that, you know, I think you pointed out too, and Women didn't go in the sanctuary, but also it wasn't just nobody strolled in the sanctuary. It was the priest. Um, and remember, I mean, before this is all pretty much before the Second Vatican Council. And while we're talking about diaconate, we really didn't have a diaconate before the Second Vatican Council. It had disappeared. Were there deacons? Yes, they were deacons who had become priests. So the diaconate was preserved in the Eastern churches. But as far as the Western Church, the Latin Church, the diaconate as an as an independent, distinct order had very much disappeared. So you had bishops and priests in the sanctuary and servers, those who ministered. But you did not have readers. You didn't have extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, men or women, up until the changes that followed after the council in the 1960s. So there was this gradual development, of course, that other people could share in these ministries. So both men and women. So we do have to make those distinctions that it wasn't just only men were about this business of the liturgy and things. It was only the ordained actually who were. And of course, religious sisters, nuns, they had special privileges perhaps. But it used to be even um, something interesting. No one could touch the sacred vessels but a priest. I remember talking to a uh, owner of a religious goods store who talked about when he was a young man that they would have to get X amount of permissions at a time from the local bishop to touch a ciborium if a priest brought it into their shop so that it could be sent off and be restored or be replated because only consecrated hands could touch that. So if so it was anybody, it wasn't just men versus women. I don't want to say use verses, but it was only the ordained who were about those certain things. So really it was after the Second Vatican Council that it was opened up, the different ministries, different possibilities were opened up. And so, and that, I guess that sparked some debates, we might say. And you talked about, you know, what you're called to, what Amber's called to, what I'm called to. Um, Kind of, you know, along in this topic that's also being discussed by Rome is 
pre-celibacy, priests being married. Um, that's been a topic uh, for, for quite some time, but of course, you know, Pope Francis is bringing it up again. You know, the one, the one big distinction that I think people always get wrong, Father and Amber, is uh, this is a Catholic Church teaching or it's a doctrine that a priest has to be celibate. No, it's a discipline. Explain that really quick. That, 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 is, a, that is a true fine distinction because there are a handful of priests, few, priests around the world. We have one in our own diocese who is married. Right. Yeah, pre- exactly. You're exactly right. Priesthood, the celibacy of the priesthood is a discipline. It's a discipline primarily in the Western church, the Latin church, because in the Eastern church, priests are married or can be married. They can't be married after they're ordained. It has to be that a married man is ordained a priest after the fact. So it's a discipline. It's a sacred discipline, though. It's not just something that you can just toss around or say, well, we'll give or take this or that. No, it's a sacred discipline because what priests and bishops model in their lives is a reality of what's to come. So a way of living that's not of this earth. So our lives, in essence, are given totally over to God, to the service and to the worship of God, and by extension of that, then to God's people in the church. Ultimately, that's how all the elect, all those who are called to the life of heaven, that's how our lives there will be ordered, to the worship to the glory, to the adoration of God, because we know that marriage does not last beyond this earthly reality. That sacrament ends in the mystery of death. So why celibacy is important and valuable is that it's a sign, it's a witness of things that are still to come, of a life that is still to be made manifest. So there's only a small group that's called to that living. The majority are called to married life. And that is good and that is holy. That's how the church grows. That's how the people of God grow. But there is this other group, at least in our Western tradition, that embraced the celibate life. Was the clergy always celibate? In the very beginning, no. We know that the apostles, or most of them, had wives, had families. But we know also early on, within the first few centuries of the church, that celibacy was becoming the norm in that. And so that priests were living and bishops were living as a witness to another life that was still to come. So like right now in parts of South America, I know they're talking about allowing priests to get married because there's such a shortage. So when you look at that, we talk about we can't spread the faith because there's such a shortage of priests. Do you think there's a spot where they're going to be like, we need to, we need to look at this um, more closely or, or how do you, you know, is there a way to solve that issue for them um, of just not enough priests to do it? What needs to happen? And that's something that, that you know, the bishops of uh, the Synod of the Amazon, as they're calling it, that's something that they're going to have to address with the Holy See. You know, if the discipline of celibacy is, it won't be done away with, I don't believe so. If it's relaxed in certain circumstances, are the heavens going to fall? No, they won't. The church will go on. So, um, as it always has, been. as it always has, and <laughs> it always, always will, will That's until right. the end. So, Hashtag Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, it, the, the gates of hell will rage against it, but they won't overcome it. So, I mean, what happens? Who knows? Um, you know, everybody thinks they know. All you have to do is go on Twitter and social media and everything else because everybody's got an opinion. You know, I've I've um, always thought though. You, you bring up, you know, you bring up, you know, the, the pre shortage. I've always thought that in the end, it, it really won't make a difference. I. I you know, obviously I've, I've never been in the seminary. I've never just discerned to be a priest, but I feel like if you want to be a priest, you want to be a priest, right. you know, you, 
I, you know, there are a handful of people who maybe want to be priests and also want to be married, but I think it's just such a, the, you know, the lifestyle, the, the commitment and what you, you have your parish family, you have your, your, your biological family. I, I see our priests and, and there is so much that you have to do father house, you know, running a parish, you have other roles here, here in the diocese. And I always view priests as you're married to the church and you have your your parish flock that that is your family who you are responsible for and yes there, there can be exceptions to the rule where you know a priest may be married but um i think it's just i think it's a lot to ask for a priest to say okay you are also you are you are the father of your parish and you are the father of your family at some point in time, one of those two things are going to get shortchanged because you're a human being, and that's just the nature of of living. and And that's not what that that you know someone's going to be shortchanged. That's not a good thing, right? I I personally I cannot imagine balancing the two. It, it would be a tall order. Listen um, to me. I'm sick. I've been sick for three weeks because I got sick from my child. He's passed on to mom, and then the next child. Well, we get sick too. We go to the hospital. We shake all those hands and everything else. <laughs> That's it true. happens. That's it true. happens. But I mean, and, and you make you do, and God, and God provides. God provides. But um, you know, the whole question of a married priesthood. Here's the reality: as vocation director for six years, I mean, if tomorrow the Holy Father said we're going to do away with priestly celibacy that I firmly do not believe that would change the dynamic of who's answering the call to priesthood. Would there be a bump? Quite possibly. But look at our Protestant brothers and sisters. They have clergy shortages as well, and they have a married clergy and that's undeniable. They are having that's the, the same problems and they have a married clergy. They've had a married clergy for 500 years. So, all we have to do is look next door and see that, you know, the grass isn't necessarily greener, that there's always going to be challenges. God is always going to call forth what we need. He may not call forth what we want, but he will call forth what we need. You know, I think people, sometimes we look back, we think we romanticize the ideas of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and the number of priests and religious sisters and brothers. If you look historically, that was kind of a bump. That was actually kind of atypical of life in the history of the American church. So yes, there, there was a bump at that time, but God will provide for what we need. And the reality is we'll drive at times a half an hour to go to the store or to go get something to eat, but we don't want to drive more than five minutes to go to mass. But see that what you just said is the problem there, I think is on people like me as a father. The, what, what, what I think what has happened, part of our pre shortage is parents, you talk about the 40s and 50s where the golden age is, let's be honest, over all these decades, more and more people have fallen away from the church, more and more people are less practicing. I mean, how many families do you see at at, at parish these days? Sadly, n- not as many as there should be, especially the, these, these parishes that have schools. You're like, oh, I know 75% of you are Catholic. Um, so that's on me. That's on me as a father to raise my children in the faith, to teach them the faith, to inspire them, to show them good examples of priests and the priest's life, and then let the Holy Spirit do his thing. But if you, as, as a parent, if I'm not, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not setting up my child and putting them in their, in their situations and teaching them the faith, then they, they may never even, you know, see that opportunity. So that's where I, I view the priest shortage is it's not, it's not on vocations directors. Uh, it's not on priests. It's on parents. 
And, and some will very much argue that. I mean, it's everybody in the church has the responsibility of being a vocation director, from the actual vocation director, our own Father Alfred, who does a fantastic job, to the parish priest, to moms and dads, to grandparents, to the teachers in the school, whatever it is. And I think we saw a shift coming out of the 1960s. And some people, I know some will jump on, well, after the Second Vatican Council, it's like, well, we had a whole societal shift. Something else happened that was very big at that time. We had really the, the bringing forth of the use of contraception. Of course, Pope St. Paul VI went against that with Humana Vitae, with that in beautiful, inspired encyclical. And he made various predictions, and all this have come to pass, that the use of contraception will not be good for the church, it will not be good for society. But we have seen this shift, and I would argue it's pretty much undeniable, that this shift of a turning in on oneself and this self-reverence and, you know, kind of at times the worship of the unholy trinity of I, me, my. And so we have different attitudes. You know, it's, it's my life, it's my family, it's my child, my this, my that. So we see in this rise of different attitudes, so we see the birth rate went down. So in essence, we could argue, you know, we've contracepted. Now it's at like the lowest rate in, in ever. Is it, well, you know, it came out or something like that? I think, I think it's, it's less than two. It's less it's, than two. Yeah, per it's, like it's like 1.9 1. 1. or 1. 1.8, yeah. something like that. And so we look at realities of what's happening with Catholic education, with priesthood, religious life, all these things. Well, a lower birth rate. We've contracepted the Catholic school system. We've contracepted the religious life. We've contracepted the priesthood. I would argue that. Um, and that, and so, but the whole thing about, you know, and then the whole thing, you know, it's, it's my life, it's it's my child, my this or my that. If we see everything as a gift of God, if we see everything as the manifestation of his grace, then we learn to hold on to it, not so much with a death grip, but with a detached reverence to say, this is from God, this is of God, it's his gift to me, but ultimately it's his. Same with a child. So if the Lord is calling my son to the priesthood, if he's calling my daughter to the religious life, then I lovingly support and encourage and allow that call to nourish and flourish in their life. So, yeah. You could almost argue that um, even allowing women to be deacons or allowing priests to marry is basically a Band-Aid for a problem that's actually much larger yeah, I think you could say it's symptomatic that yes, definitely. I think I think that you, that's a very good point, and that's why I think it goes back to me. It's it's still it starts with the parents, uh, and 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 parents need to do their due diligence and raise their children in the faith. We'll leave it there. Uh, we got lots more to discuss in other podcasts, and if you want to see those podcasts, go to dio.org/podcast. This is Dive Deep. We'll see you next time. <laughs>